Yeah, let's do it. Yeah! It's the World Around the Barrel Vintage Baseball Podcast coming to you. Talking to vintage baseball players from coast to coast and border to border. This week, we are going coast to coast. Uh, we're going to the coast, the beautiful coast where the beautiful people live. But that's not true. I'm talking to somebody in San Francisco. Can I say that? A couple of weeks, I'm trying to get somebody from San Francisco on. Anyway, it's Chuck Chicarello uh, from the Connecticut Bulldogs, amongst other things. Uh, he's joining us to talk about the fifth annual John Martin All-Star Series of Historic Baseball. But before he comes in and talks, I would like to say hello to my co-host, Rudy Frias. Hi, Swamp Fox. Hey, how's it going, Barrel? It's great. It's great. Do you want to just do you want to just skip all the pleasantries and get talking about baseball or what? Oh, you have no idea. I just yeah, let's get right into it. All right. Screw the world. We're just talking about baseball. No, I don't care how your week went, Rudy. Uh, we'll do it at the end. Uh, come in, come in the, joining us in the Zoom, which you can't see because we're an audio medium. Maybe one day uh, Rudy will get around to that YouTube channel. I don't know. He's he's married with kids. Uh, you know what the timeline is on that. But it's Chuck <laughs> Chicarello. Chuck, how are you doing, my friend? Well, I'm thrilled to be here with both of you. I, I must admit, I did not know this was a double barrel barrel. But here we are in the barrel with both of you, which is spectacular. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, fantastic. I feel like I just saw you a couple weeks ago and, uh, I was trying to explain to my wife, your comedy stylings. And I had it narrowed down to you are like a comedy ninja. It's like you sneak up, <laughs> you, you deliver the punchline and then boom, you're gone. And you're like, wait, wait, where'd he go? Ninja. I'm like the fog. I roll in and then I roll out. You don't see the fog coming until you're in it. As long as it's the fog and not the mist. Don't be the mist. I've seen things. The mist is frightening. Yes, we don't want to go there. Wasn't the mist on the East Coast? Didn't that happen on the East Coast? Is that a horror movie about something terrible happening to people? Yeah, in the mist. Yeah, and like, yeah, <laughs> like in like the like upstate New York. Yeah, that's probably Colin Miller's fault. And if we're going to assign blame, <laughs> I'll allow it. Uh, so, uh, Chuck, uh, I have known about this event. Uh, I have heard of it for a few years and I didn't know until recently though it was actually affiliated with ALS which is Rudy and I affiliate with ALS so synergy tell me everything about this event boy it's a it's a really tough uh, story and I know what the three of us like to have laughs so hopefully we'll do that uh, in just a, a short few minutes but this is actually some serious stuff um, you might have heard a little bit about the background. Uh, John Martin, spectacular videographer with the New England Sports Network for 19 years of his life and in his career. Uh, he was one of the most influential videographers in New England. Uh, he struck great relationships with players and coaches, even visiting teams, and just drew this lore about him because he had this bigness of his personality. He was really gregarious and very engaging. He loved people and music and he, all the good stuff. When you think about all the good stuff, John loved all of it. And he was just a great, great guy to be around. Uh, became ill with ALS. Uh, fought his uh, his personal struggle for several years. Around the time in 2018 when my baseball group was being 
asked to perform vintage baseball at historic Muzzy Field in Bristol, Connecticut. Very storied ballpark. There's a book written about Muzzy that goes some 300 pages that I'm looking to check out uh, myself. So this was around the time that it was near the end of John's journey in September of 2018. So I thought, well, we could just go out and have a baseball game. We could play the problems phrase or insert um, Mountain Athletic Club. But I wanted to make it something more. So I started asking those eyes and ears perked up and lit up. Apparently there had been some East Coast All-Star games in the past that had gone away like events come and go. And people said, well, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's have an All-Star game. So my producer, director brain keeps kind of pumping and churning. And I go to the next level in my mind and I say, okay, well, let's not just do an all-star game to say, check out us with our fancy clothes and funny rules. Let's put something behind it. And uh, John was in a bad place in his life and his, his health. So I thought, let's have an ALS related all-star game, which became an all-star series. And let's take the proceeds and try to make an impact on some people's lives. And, And folks rallied behind it, as you can imagine. Well, when we got off the field that day and had our camaraderie and looked at pictures and, and went off to bed, I, I woke up the next day to learn that John had died um, on that day in 2018. So since then, um, it's become an annual event. This will be the fifth one. Um, it's free to the public. We asked the players to make a donation to ccals.org. That company, CCALS, is uh, an acronym for Compassionate Care. ALS. So what that company does is they take donations and proceeds and they put them towards implements that uh, make people's lives easier who are suffering, uh, things that they need that help their quality of life. Um, So this year, ccals.org has given us a custom link for our event. Uh, We've grown a relationship with the CEO, a gentleman by the name of Ron Hoffman, who's one of the more inspiring people you'll meet in the world of philanthropy. So we struck this relationship uh, with John's widow and some of our former colleagues from when John and I worked together at Nesson many years ago. And it's become this grand, grand event. Um, There's a lot of fanfare. There are peripheral aspects without giving too much away um, that make it even more special. And we're able to celebrate it together with somewhere to the neighborhood of 50 to 60 players. So we split off essentially into MLB-sized rosters. And we elected uh, Jay Gilday of the Providence Braves and Brett Berry of the Connecticut Bulldogs to be our captains for teams Daniel and Lucius, obviously a Doc Adams uh, reference there. And those two gentlemen have graciously contributed that service every year. This will be the fifth time they've both managed in the All-Star Series. And it's just, um, it is just a, a beacon of light near the end of our year that people look forward to. People rally around, they give so generously, and it makes a difference. It's it's the biggest thing to me that we do as a Connecticut ball club, and I just, I feel so honored and so blessed to have known John Martin and to have walked part of my life path and part of his together and had the opportunity to learn from him and experience things with him that were like nothing else in the early 2000s in Boston, as I'm sure everyone's aware. And I, I miss Johnny. He was a good friend. Um, but I like to celebrate John Martin because he was a gentleman who enjoyed celebration um, for his love and his zest of life. Now, John won. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on these uh, on these notes here. 
um, Chuck. He won five Emmys over his career. Is that is that? That's correct. Uh, in two thousand, that is correct. Two thousand eighteen, he won the Silver Circle Award. Uh, he also wrote two books. One was called uh, "Waiting for Greatness: Memories and Musings of a Sports Television uh, Cameraman." And then the other one is called Every 10 Minutes. Uh, and I assume that if people were interested, they would would they be able to readily get to these books? Do you know? I think so, yeah. I think I could get some links. I could get some links from um, Adrian, uh, John's widow, and try to put something together. Maybe we could post it on the Battle Roller page, or if Gary would be so gracious to share it out to the Town Hall page. I think that's a wonderful idea. Uh, Rudy and I will post anything you give us. Uh, especially when it comes to ALS, as we, uh, as we just, uh, with the beginning of the, well, with the Michigan Vintage Baseball Festival, that was an ALS fundraiser. And, uh, and we have made the pledge to each other that everything we do together here on out will be ALS related. So this hits us right where we want to. I don't know if you know, I had my mother-in-law, uh, died from ALS, uh, so we took that pretty hard and she wasn't like these mother-in-laws. Everybody makes jokes about my mother-in-law was, a was quite a special person. And I was kind of robbed of uh, having a, a very good mother-in-law as I only had her for a handful of years. So, uh, Rudy, do you have anything to add right now? I, I just, I mean, what we do as a community is important in the sense that, everything every big event we do builds community right and i think that it is just incredibly special when what we can do kind of transcends what we do during the summer and i think that this is an amazing example of that and it shows that the community can come together and 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 raise money and and celebrate an individual and raise awareness as well. And, and, you know, and it kind of showcases the best things about our community. So I, I am, uh, I know my brother has had the opportunity to, uh, to join you out there and, and he had nothing but am- amazing things to say about it and what a great time he had and, and what, what a great group of individuals show up for something like this. So I, I'm just, I mean, I'm excited that you're here talking about it because I feel like we need more people in, in, in the community, in the great, in the, in the, the vintage baseball community it's, to know about this. So thank, thank, thank you, you very much thank for you. saying so. And, and roller, I'm sorry to hear about your family struggle. And I know you guys identify closely with this. I'll just say that when you walk into Muzzy field as a player for the first time, something comes over you. I know we always say, well, vintage baseball is like stepping into the past and that's all true. And it's very special. And I think, Sometimes as a player of 11 plus years now with playing and managing and organizing, a little bit of that gets muted, right? Because it becomes our life and the grind that's related to organizing and performing vintage baseball. But when you step on the field at Muzzy, and again, it's Sunday, September the 25th, gates at 9 a.m. at Muzzy Field. When you step on the field, it's like bigger than the first time you walk into Fenway Park or whatever your favorite park is because you're the show that day and the grass smells like nothing you've ever smelled before. And the the walls look so amazing, even though there are some modern placards. Now you realize when you start to read into it, that Babe Ruth hit the first home run at Muzzy Field. Babe Ruth played there. You're standing in the same spot 
as one of the absolute legends of the game. And it's a spiritual awakening for me, not just to be at Muzzy Field. Venues are great. It's outstanding. But to see our community come together the way they do and the, the looks on their faces, the hugs and handshakes, the tears, the laughter, it's the full gambit of emotion. And it's just a wonderfully inspiring group of people to be around. Now, Muzzy Field was uh, built back in 1912, I believe, and they they built the grandstand in 1939. It's it's housed like the Double A affiliate affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, right now, it has the Bristol Blues, and uh, it. it's done football. It's done uh, all kinds of stuff there. Uh, tell me about. I, I'm reading right now that the outfield is lined with uh, tall pine trees. Is uh, is that inside the wall or outside the wall? Outside the wall, there's a uh, public park, and it's just majestic when you have the batter's eye as the big, tall, probably hundreds of year old trees. It's it's remarkable. I I'm getting excited. I could run to Muzzy Field right now to do this, and I live about 20 miles away. I just can't wait to get back out there and do this. And, you know, God has been good. The weather gods have been good to us. We've had a couple of chilly days. We've had a couple of misty days. But by and large, it's been nothing that stopped us from playing. The grounds crew was amazing. We get full access to the clubhouses underneath the stands. Um, the, the cut rate that we get, the charitable rate that we get, it's normally $50 an hour. I have it from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. on Sunday the 25th for 120 $25, I think they quoted me. Nice. It's just, it's unbelievable. I'm just, I'm so grateful that the gentleman from the Historical Society cold called me in 2018, and that was really the impetus for all of this. It was getting a phone call, and there's an old saying that sometimes God winks. Well, that clearly happened to us in this instance. It's really awesome. Really? And that, is, that is great. Uh, yeah, I want to chat real quick. Um, you said 50 to 60 players. How many clubs are, if you had to guesstimate and you know what, how many clubs do you think are attending? It's grown year upon year. Um, I think we try to go for somewhere between 25 and 30 clubs. Um, as far West as you guys, as far South as we can get, we've had Maryland come up, friends from Pennsylvania, our friends from Maine, Long Island, the Catskill mountain region. It just grows and grows. Um, but then of course life happens and people have conflicts. So the initial 30 on 30 gets whittled down just because people have to drop, but they're still charitable and they're giving. Um, and it usually winds up being somewhere in the mid to low twenties in terms of a per team number. That's really great. I saw that last year. I, I believe it was last year. Correct me if I'm wrong. You did a draft, like a live, like a live draft and, I thought I thought that was really cool, really clever, and a, a lot of fun to watch. Is there are there any plans to do that again this year? That's definitely coming up. Um, I'm at the stage of the process now where I would say 99% of our clubs have submitted their all stars and their alternates. Some clubs who can't make it have let me know, and that puts me in the fortunate place to welcome in those alternates. So you'll see potentially three, four people from a given team. Um, particularly the Elizabeth Resolutes, who are going to be there for a very special reason we could talk a little bit about, if you like. Uh, yeah, go ahead and get into that, Chuck. We got uh, Jim Twilliger, the captain of the Walker Tavern Wheels, is going to join us in about nine minutes uh, to do our usual Great. our usual interview dealio that we do. So 
Uh, you got 10 more minutes, Chuck. You can use it any way that you want, whatever you want to talk about. Sure. So around the time that this was all happening um, in the late uh, 20-teens, we thought, wouldn't it be nice if there was some sort of way to recognize some of the grapes in our game? So a quorum of experts came together and, and said, what about the Ed Elmore Lifetime Achievement Award for Excellence in Baseball Studies? And, and I said, yeah, man, that's great. Let's call Eddie and see if he can do it. So I called up Eddie and I said, what do you think about this? And I pitched it to him and he said, that sounds like a really great idea. I can't wait to present it. Well, as it would turn out, he didn't present the award. He received it. And the first presenter was Paul Salamone of the Elizabeth Resolutes, the late great captain. So Paul gave the award to Eddie. Paul's presentation speech, as we're all aware, he was a talker. So the presentation speech itself probably eclipsed 12 or 13 minutes. Guys were re-stretching their legs as Paul was wrapping up. Eddie came up and received the award, went on to umpire the first game that day. And the following year, we didn't give out the Ed Elmore Award. It's not a yearly award. It's not an entitlement. It happens on the basis of merit. In 2020, Ed Elmore presented the award to Dr. Brian Travers of the Providence Grace very worthy uh, recipient who was very humble and very touched and he keeps it displayed in his home office. Um, I don't need to tell you guys what a brilliant friend Brian Travers is and we were so happy to be able to award him that. And this year, uh, two years later, um, it's going to its rightful home with the Elizabeth Resolutes in the name of Paul Salamone, our dear friend, who we miss tremendously. Uh, yes, I didn't have a chance to uh, talk a lot with Paul. Uh, if you go back in the archives, I did get the chance to interview him, and the pre-interview lasted longer than the interview, and the post-interview lasted longer than the interview. We talked for probably a total of four to five hours. It was like you did in high school with your sweetheart. I mean, we just kept talking and talking, and just when you thought you were out of something else to talk about, somebody would just say something that would just spark something. <laughs> and then we would go for another half an hour on something, but he was great. Uh, Rudy, have you, did you ever get a chance to uh, talk to Paul? Unfortunately, uh, my time in, in New York never uh, allowed us to cross paths. I, uh, it was, I, I, we, we knew all of the same people and had conversations with all of the same people. We just never got a chance to formally introduce each other. He was just so amazing when you talk about some of the influential minds in vintage baseball oftentimes don't agree. They have to go to the archives, so it's not just rhetorical, anecdotal. They have actual evidence, primary sources to cite when they have their wonderful arguments, which, which span from the end of the season until approximately opening day. I feel like all we do is get online and converse with one, one another, which is great, has its upside, also has its pitfalls, as we've seen through the years. People step in it sometimes, and they work their way back out of it, and oftentimes come out better friends. But when Paul would get in the ring with some of those vintage baseball heavyweights, it was like two dogs on a bone, man. Like, nobody was going to give it up. And it was appointment reading. I mean, get out the popcorn when Paul got arguing with people. <laughs> You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say appointment reading. I remember sitting there scrolling furiously on my phone, like, oh, my goodness. So good. And he was a gentleman and a scholar and an accomplished 
pianist. He was a veteran of the a United States Army, um, a teacher, uh, yeah, a mentor, a life coach. I mean, the, the level of things that Paul Salamone did in his life, just even outside of baseball, it would take three regular men to do some of the things that he did. And he was just such an inspiring friend, even in his older years. Now, unfortunately, he didn't live to be tremendously old. He was born in 1957. We lost him in 2020. Even in his last few years, he still had the energy of a prize fighter. And man, he could go, go, go like the Energizer Bunny. He uh, also a jazz musician. And uh, I remember when we talked in our interview, we actually sent people to Amazon because you could get one of his albums on Amazon. Uh, and he tried to play some uh, piano for me over the speaker. It didn't turn out so well. Ah, oh, you live and you learn. But uh, <laughs> but uh, that was great. Hey, Chuck, a couple of things before before we get you out of here. Uh, one, talking about going back into the archives, you were the second ever episode of this podcast. That's I don't know how long we've been going. It's a long time. And uh, so thank you for being the second episode ever. You gave me uh cachet right out of the gate brother and that's what i was looking for i'm like who who can i talk to on the east coast that people are going to be like oh he got interviewed i got to listen to this interview it's a very it's a it's a process that was very important to the beginning of a podcast and i picked the right one uh i picked you and i didn't know anything about you i just had heard your name ten thousand times so (laughs) well it's it's a it's a fun name to say it's not that i'm like brilliant or anything it's just a fun name to say so maybe my parents had the right idea Uh, but i want to thank you guys and i want to also extend some thanks to people like corky gaskell who hosts a tuesday night zoom that's been such a a binding force across regions which i think for a long time decades upon decades we've had struggles uh, across regions seeing eye to eye and i think the zoom doesn't fix everything but it's a path to success so that we're more of a national project and i also want to thank people like the elizabeth resolutes and chris constad for using technology to stream their games to people who can't go to railway river park to see things like paul salamone memorial games it's um it's i wouldn't say it's a new day i think every day is a new day people like yourselves who have that passion, that energy to really make inroads through technology and just, just good natured people, just being good people. Like we could argue, I could think that you're wrong about something. I'm still going to like you. I'm still going to sit down and have a beer with you. So thank you guys for what you do, man. Thank you. No, I'm like, you were, uh, there was used to be a podcast called the vintage baseball podcast. And I reached out to you. My brother Ian was like, you really should talk to Chuck. And I was like, I've heard the name. And you were a fantastic uh, guest to talk to. And, you know, I'm, I know not blown smoke here. It was a genuine pleasure to meet you in person at Gettysburg. And, and I was like, I was like, oh, I, I got to go shake this guy's hand and, and actually get them, you know, introduce myself. So now, nah, man, you're, you're, you're a class act and, and you're, you're one of the, the, the reasons that uh, vintage baseball is is such a special thing. So I, thank you. Before you let me go, I'm going to cut a free promo for you, okay? Barrel roller. So are you going to count me in? Sometimes in the biz we call it counting me in. Are you going to count me in? I mean, I can count you in. Like what do you three, want? You want a three? You're like going to do like a three, two, one? Or, like a, I'll do wait, a count you, you do down. Zero? I'll count you down from five, and I just won't do the two and the okay. one like in Wayne's World. 
are you going to point? <laughs> yeah. So I know. Yeah, yeah. Point? I'll give it a shot. All right. All right. Do I look? Do I look okay? Am I all right here? I don't okay. know. Rudy's in the video. All right. Call me in, Roller. Here we go. Five, four, three. Hi, folks. I'm Chuck Ciccarello from ESPN, and you're listening to the Roller Out the Barrel podcast. Play the music, Matt. I wasn't expecting to. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to play the music before every episode. <laughs> right at that point, Chuck knows what he's doing. I was like, shut up. I, I was like instinctively looking for a button, and he was just doing a thing. I understand now, Chuck. But I thank you. <laughs> the last shameless plug Sunday. Last shameless plug Sunday, September twenty fifth. Gates at 9. Paul Salamone receives the Elmo Award at 9.40. At 10 a.m. we start. We're going 1858, 1864, and 1865. It's a triple header. Team Daniel versus Team Lucius. Go to org and make a gift today. Fantastic. That's how a professional Dude, does thank it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a great night, gentlemen. Thank you both. Hey, you too, bud. Be well. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Chuck. What a guy! Doesn't he just make you feel stupid? <laughs> the I, way the way we do yeah. things, and he's like, "All right, dude, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that." And he's such a pro, and you're so, like, "And it's like I am a yeah, podcast." Like what he speaks. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly classed up the joint. <laughs> he, he, I didn't even get a chance to talk to him about the pitching shenanigans that I was hearing about when I was at Old Beth Page. He does uh he does some tricks while he's out there on on in the pitchers area and uh I wanted to talk to him about it and I guess we ran out of time. Is Mr. Twiller here yet? He's here. You ready for him? Let's do it. He's, he's knocking on the door. Let me let him in. All right, he's here. Mr. Twilliger. Hey. <laughs> hey, buddy. How's it going? Excellent. Good. How, is that a lake behind you? Yeah, yeah. We got, uh, we're up in Cadillac for the week. Uh, have, you co- have you come down yet? Uh, you know, yeah. I think about <laughs> Monday morning when I was back at work. <laughs> I was I was fully expecting him to turn on his camera and him be drinking out of the trophy. It's in no, they uh, specifically say not to drink. <laughs> and I trust the uh, powers that be that you know they know what they're talking about. So we are being joined right now by Jim Crazy Legs Twilliger, captain of the Walker Tavern Wheels Ball Club from Brooklyn, Michigan, the defending. Uh, world tournament champion, two-time world tournament champion, Walker Tavern Wheels. Uh, this this year, uh, I don't know how to word this correctly. It wasn't. It didn't come down to the last, the very last, like it did the first time. Kind of had the game in hand. At as long as you weren't gonna kick yourself around, so it was a little different feel. Uh, but uh, tell me everything, Jim. Well, it was uh, definitely the not not the same scenario as the first time in 2015, and that uh, was an epic back and forth game back then. Um, but just like uh, any other team that's in that tournament, uh, there's no league safe as we 
well are well aware from our championship uh, match in 2018, where uh, unfortunately uh, we had some slippery slippery palms and bad throws in the last couple of innings of that match to uh, let a big lead slide away. So there's no real leads uh, that's real safe, but uh, we were pretty confident going in that bottom. Uh, of that uh, ninth inning, knowing that we had a few extra runs. And uh, you guys, uh, I don't know if played out of your asses, correct, because you're a good ball player. You're a good ball team. So I guess you didn't play out of your ass. But you guys were on You were on point for the weekend. I mean, you, you brought your A game. They, they didn't bring their A game. I mean, they, they were destroying people. Yeah, well, they were. Like, <laughs> you were watching, game. like <laughs> – you saw that's a different level of a game. Like it was, they just had it from Saturday, their very first game. I'm like, they're smashing the ball. They're making play. They're making the easy plays look effortless and the hard plays look easy. It was just your weekend. And it was, it was exciting to watch. I'm really glad we didn't have to play. Well, there was uh, definitely some planning going into this weekend as all the, teams try to put their best team on the field for this weekend. And, you know, we, like a lot of teams, we have, you know, a lot of guys on our roster and Greenfield Village weekend is the highlight of the year, you know, so it's, it's tough to manage um, the right, you know, you know, how would you say the even balance of everything, having 15 guys on a roster, but as any team knows, it's very difficult to, you know, come out, winning all four games with, you know, having that structure. So, it, you know, we made sure everybody, uh, our right people were in the field at different times. And, you know, we just were blessed with quality, you know, players, you know, one through 15. So, you know, just plug and play. So it's always my contention that when to win at Worlds, it's defense because every team there can hit. And yeah. it's, it's all about making that play so the next three guys don't get up. Because you make an error, you're not going to get another chance for that out for three or four batters. Not with these lineups and these teams, especially as you get farther into the tournament. So you guys played great defense. Uh, and as you say, back in two, whatever whatever year that was uh, before where you lost in the finals, it was defense that cost you. And uh, yeah. it's it's really important. But you guys have always played a pretty, a pretty solid defense. Uh, there's not a lot of new guys, so to speak, on on the on the wheels. I mean, the shortstop looked awful familiar. So, uh, <laughs> uh, do you do you believe that same philosophy that it's really the defense that's going to win the championship? Absolutely, and that was my belief going into the weekend. Is the best possible player at every single position that we have. So, unless you know, my gut told me to go the other way because two people were equal and one could hit a little bit better or veteran or seniority or, you know, what have you. And that's what we did. Um, you know, so every, every position out there was my best possible person at that position. Can I ask you, and I'm trying to figure out a way to formulate the question. This is not a dig or, or for our listener out there, this is not a comment on your club. Um, had all of the individuals, at some point, either played in matches that season, the season. Like, how do you do, reach this determination of 
who's going to be the best in that position? Is it from their performance leading up to the world tournament or a gut feeling or like the way they played last year? Walk me through that. Well, I mean, you guys know how this goes from your years, you know, yeah. with teams and running teams that, you know, you might have guys that just show up just for worlds mm-hmm. um, and it's, and, but they might've been on your team for the last 12 years too, but just family situations and different things happen. They can't make it out to the game. So it is tough. Um, we unfortunately did not have that so much this year. Um, we had a core group of guys that were at just about every every game. Uh, when we went up to Frankenmuth, we batted 14 guys every single game. Um, so, yeah, we did have a state cup match, and it was, you know, 14 guys, you know. And that included, you know, some up-and-coming players. That included um, – um, little guy named Top Heavy. He's the biggest 15 year old I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> but it's Professor's son, and he just, he was just hitting the ball well, and we wanted to give him that experience, just being part of the team and playing. So, you know, it's, it is what it is. We go out there, and we just, we want to also pay attention to the sacrifices that the players make to make big weekends like that, you know, to put out the money for a hotel room, mm-hmm. to, you know, travel, all that stuff, you know. Yeah. So I, like, and that, that's one of the things that I was like, you know, if every captain, it, you're pulling for your team, but then you're like, Ooh, I'd like to see this team win. And seeing you guys bat all of those people, I was like, this, this is amazing because it's not like, you know, everybody gets in that philosophy. I'm only batting nine and I'm only doing this, but like the, you honoring their commitment and, and, and their willingness to show up and, and pay the money and travel and be there. That, right. that, that spoke to me. I really, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, and we had some guys coming out to Gettysburg, you know, that, uh, you know, loved the trip to go out there. We, we showed up with uh, seven of our own guys. And uh, luckily, Sticky Mitts, uh, Kelly Patmore, he had uh, his brother that was 15, and his brother brought a buddy. Uh, <laughs> so played right field and second base for us in Gettysburg. And, uh, man, the youth and speed of those 15-year-olds. Dude. Oh, man, it was the right chemistry and the right uh, uh, right situation for them. Uh, but when it came to the world tournament, um, you know, we had 14 guys there, and I just plugged and played different scenarios and different formulations of those guys to make sure everybody played, you know, one of the, at least one of the games, and depends on, you know, situational. Um, and they understood, they, they bought in, they were like, yes, was this one weekend a year that I'm going to sit because I know, you know, I've seen you sit, you know, and I, you know, I tell everybody, you know, right now with everybody else in their position, you know, if some six foot four, 200 pound stud of a first baseman shows up on my team, well, I'm going to be sitting in that final game next year, you know, so <laughs> it's whatever's best for the team. And I think everybody's bought in. Uh, well, you guys definitely deserve all the kudos in the world, and you went to the Final Four at Gettysburg with these two youngins uh, playing yeah. second base in right field, so uh, not bad. Not a bad season. Uh, are you guys in the state tournament in Bay City this year? We will be, yes. Oh, so you got a, you got a chance to really have a, a season that you'll never see again. Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> if if you get if you come home with the cup on just you know that's it 
emails are just quick. Hang it up, right? <laughs> uh, Jim, one more thing from the worlds before we get into all about you is uh, when you broke your hand, was that at the world's tournament? Yes. Was it early? Yeah. Was it early in the tournament? Well, it happened twice. So I broke my left hand um, on an errant throw by uh, one of our uh, Say his overzealous Say it. Uh, Say it. players. Uh, it was Sloop, of course. Uh, we all knew it was Sloop. Come on, yeah, everybody Sloop. knows it was Sloop. But that was in that. I want to say that was in sixteen. Um, but to his defense, um, I would have probably just let it go. But it was the final game, and you know, on first base side, there's those bleachers. Yeah. And so I just threw a hand up just to block it, um, and that definitely <laughs> I was definitely um, feeling the pain from that. Um, and then the next year, um, uh, Polska, who, for those that don't know, is a beast of a man for the Lottie Dodds, lefty, who can just hit the ball so hard. And he pulled one down the first baseline, and it, I just went to catch it wrong. Uh, and uh, it was able to break two of the fingers. So, uh, But we got the out. We finished the game. <laughs> and then, uh, that's that. So, And uh, was that the first two... Or the first two, um, did you break a finger on that first one from Sloop? Uh, it broke the, the one of the bones in the hand. That was, I think, I want to say the first game on the Sunday of that year. And then the other fingers were on the second game of the Saturday. So uh, we had lost earlier that first match. It was a gauntlet um, pool there. Lost that first game. And then, uh, so... I think we went on, we may have went on to reserve something. I'm not sure. You spent most of your career out in left field, though. So uh, did you ever take a line drive the wrong way out there and left? No, thank goodness. Uh, I was no, I was not, uh, I was a for sure high enough to catch it. Let's not make any silly plays because <laughs> <laughs> when usually you're, you know, you do have backup in a center fielder, but they're far away. You know, he tried to make the, the smart play. And uh, so, no, there were, by the time they got out to me, they, they didn't have as nearly as uh, hard shots as a, as a third baseman would uh, take on on a daily. Uh, Rudy? No, I mean, yeah, I just, I just want to say that, like, uh, we always enjoy the Capitals. We always enjoy getting a chance to play you. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's a true statement up until like the first two years we started playing each other because you gave us fits and then our games would be like, whoo, whoo. And you know, like we would get elevated. We dial up to 11, they dial up to 11. It was never like mean. It was just a heightened sense of a game. And then right. once we were like, all right, this, you know, let's play some games and have some fun. I mean, it, I've just really grown to respect the way like you, you, you handle the club and you carry yourself. And uh, to, to this season, my favorite game is when y'all destroyed us in Gettysburg. I, it was just the most fun. To, it was to, a fun game. Yeah. We, we were just, it, Barrel Roller, it was a train wreck of a match. We were all the way at the very end of the field. No one, no one was there. It was just literally our families. It rained. Uh, 
the score got lopsided and then just continued to get more lopsided. My dad was yelling Spanish at the two <laughs> children. He said they were Domin- he thought they were Dominican, so he only spoke to them in Spanish. And they they had like this like fear on their face. They're like, why won't he stop speaking Spanish? It was it was just a great game. And and I really I mean it was um it was really great to watch your team at the world tournament and, and, and see you guys actually, you know, reach the mountaintop. I, I enjoyed it. So, yeah, it was a, a great game in Gettysburg. We absolutely loved that. Um, we had a great time. Those kids are going to remember that for the rest of their lives. <laughs> I think he was yelling about, I'm going to pitch it. And so it hits your foot or something like that. He said something like that. And, uh, and he, he yelled over to me, he goes, see, they're not Dominican. So, uh, <laughs> so that was great. Jim, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about, and there's a lot of meat on this bone, your baseball life from your earliest memories to where you are now. There's a lot of vintage in it, but there's also a lot of other stuff. You are a huge baseball fan uh, and have done some things. But first, one of the things we, we talk about with people on the podcast is some of their favorite places to play and stuff and some of their worst places to play. Now, your field comes up a lot in the worst places to play, and I take issue with this because your field is one of my favorite fields. And I'm like, what is it? Is Am I missing something, or is everybody else missing something? If You the, you got a lot of shrubbery down the third baseline that you lose some balls in. Other yep. than that, other than that negative right there, and you kind of got to run up and down the hill on the bases, but – it's, it's not the only field you have to do that at. Where do you honestly come uh, across on your field? Well, we've had the pleasure of playing a lot of places, um, but it's in the top five. I mean, I guess, you know, playing, we played in front of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. Um, that was scenic. Uh, great. We love playing at Carroll Park. That's just a great open field with, you know, natural elements and shade and you got everything there. Um, up at Ojibwe, you know, flat, you know, you got just the atmosphere there. Um, but Walker Tavern, I mean, it depends on the type of player and what they're coming to do. If it's, uh, you know, it's a big state cup match or something, you may love it or hate it because we do have two huge pine trees in center field that are in play. Um, and our field is at, I would say, 15 to 20% incline from home plate to second base. So um, it's not one of those flat soccer fields that, you know, there's no bad bounces. Our left fielder has to run up a hill towards center to make plays. So, if you know, you could win or lose based upon a bad bounce, a hit in a tree, um, getting stuck in a bush. Um, so... We even have a picket fence out probably about 320 feet that a couple of the guys that play there have reached that, you know, would have been an out long fly ball, but, you know, you don't usually have to jump a picket fence to get a ball. So, you know, it depends on what you're going out there for. But, I, you know, it is very unique, and some people absolutely love it. And like you said, it's not a great place to play for others. You know, we do have uh, – the reason why we play at that specific location is because we're – part of the Walker Tavern historical complex, that's their, that's their state park. And of, as, as uh, you may know, it's right in front of, it's the northeast corner, I'm sorry, the southeast corner of like Michigan International Speedway complex. So we have this little chunk 
that is a park, and then you have this big, massive uh, racetrack. So the state park doesn't have a whole lot of room, and when they do have, or what they do have, isn't uh, conducive to playing baseball on. There's a lot of rolling hills, and so this area is the only area to play, And uh, but it makes it unique, you know. So um, we just hosted uh, Saginaw Bay City this past weekend. We lost about seven balls. Um, so uh, that was uh, unfortunate. But out of 20 hitting into the different shrubbery, we found quite a bit. So we take that as a win. But we go into it knowing that we're going to lose some. I mean, and honestly, that makes your club, when you get on a field, say Walnut 1 or Walnut 2 at the World Tournament, you're not completely thrown off. Because the club is used to a, a field with character, a field where they have to contend with elements. I think it's a, a brilliant strategy for uh, building a, a solid defense. And I personally love fields with character. I have, I have played on fields where you have run, had to run uphill to first base. We've played in Gettysburg, and you know what those fields are like. Yes, there's nothing in the way, but they're definitely not flat. So I think, and, and it's, and personally, I say this all the time, it's more enjoyable for the fans to watch because they're like, how, how are they going to put a baseball game here? Right. And then you do it. It's a, it's a very good field. I love playing there. Haven't Obviously, I haven't played there in years. But uh, I had my best game as far as it was like one of the very first games I ever played. And I don't remember who won or lost. It wasn't close. So maybe, I don't know if Jim would remember it was hot. It was very hot. And I went six for six. I had six at bats. I went six for six and I was, and I was coming up to the plate again. And I distinctly remember this memory of God, I don't want another hit because running the bases was killing my thighs. (laughs) My legs, my legs were shot, man. I had nothing left in my legs. I'm like, I'm just going to kind of half swing at this and hope that I just, ground out to the second baseman or something like I don't want to get on base and it went through the hole into right field and I'm like oh my god I have to I felt it for well over a week and that was that was maybe first or second year I ever played uh and I've loved that field ever since I don't know if it's because I had a good game because those are few and far between or uh I don't know it's it, it reminds me of the Grangers field uh, a lot yeah. Uh, but it's just, you know, it's got its own little idiosyncrasies. But, you know, you kind of got to run around the hills out there in left field. Plus, at uh, at Walker, uh, of course, there's the occasional horse that comes onto the field that just lays one down, and you got to watch out for that. <laughs> Actual okay, horses. So that happened one time in the total existence of my entire playing career. It was against Bay City. And we don't know where the horse came from. But to tell the story, during batting practice, this guy on a horse just comes, you know, on his horse galloping through the field. And he almost like did a little circle in the left field and like presented himself. And then his horse relieved himself. And then he ran off. <laughs> and we're just all looking at each yeah. other like, does this happen all the time? Like, what? It- what just happened? Uh, yeah. Wow. And that came up. That came up this weekend. Schoolboy from Bay City asked if we checked the field, <laughs> and I said, 
Uh, we did not check, but <laughs> it's been a horse in many years. <laughs> oh, that's a great memory. Uh, okay, Jim, let's get into it. Uh, there's so much baseball talk here, and I'm so interested to talk to you about things I've never talked to you about. Uh, like you've been at fantasy camps and, and stuff like that. And, uh, but we're going to start with your earliest memories of baseball as a child. And let's, let's get right into that and go right up to where we are today. All right. Well, uh, I think just like most of the guys playing vintage ball, we start in little league, uh, garden city, Michigan, you know, just get put on a house team. Uh, did that, uh, Oh, we can go back farther. We can go back farther than that, Jim. You were playing baseball in your neighborhood before you even picked up a bat for yeah. Little League. What were those That's games true. like? Oh, yeah. Those are the ones that you remember. You know, you might only have three guys show up. So I remember we played behind this church uh, because it had a big brick wall as our catcher and uh, had a nice 210-foot uh, fence. So us hitting home runs was a big deal then, and, you know, it measured our prowess, you know. So – yeah, I remember there was a tree in center field right in front of the fence, um, and we had a pitcher, one outfielder, and a batter, and of course all the ghost runners, you know. But that was that was the that was a great memory, you know. That happened every summer. From you get up, you wake up, you're probably out the door by eight o'clock in the morning, as long as it was light out, and on the bike, get your buddies, your mitt, the bat, and head out there. You had- and then you weren't coming home. You had one fielder. You only had one fielder. What were the defensive rules uh, to get the batter out? Well, it was, we usually played the left fielder. Depending on the hitter, uh, we'd always, you know, right field's out. You know, you can't hit right field. Um, And then uh, that was it, basically. You know, uh, we would hit, we'd run, and then wherever we stopped, once the ball got into the pitcher, we had to stop. And then uh, we go back and hit again. And uh, any ground ball, any any basically any swift play, we we're going to call you out. You had to hit it over their head. You had to go do something pretty fantastic to knock it out. And as of course, you know, depending on the day of the week and uh, how many guys we had. But uh, if we had five or six, seven, we'd go to the little league park and play, and of course try to pick up some squat, you know, wandering kids and actually put together a four and four or something. Now, what, what, are you, what are you using, a baseball or what, a tennis ball, racquetball? What, what were you using? Well, I want to say that it was a racquetball. Um, Heck yeah. But, yeah, I remember uh, quite – I mean, and then we kind of, you know went on to the baseball. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, racquetball, tennis ball, um, for sure. Um, and then uh, – but once, you know, I think – like 10 or 11, you know, you're into the, the hard ball, you yeah. know. So then you go into Little League. Uh, I'm I'm assuming that you played organized baseball all the way up to at least high school, I'm guessing. Yeah, I did. Um, probably until maybe I was 16, 15 or 16. You know, we were on travel teams. we go all over. And, uh, but then, you know, I think – you know, you're in high school, you know, there's other stuff going on. I couldn't have hit a curveball. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, uh, you know, I, I made the travel team, I think in the Colt or pony or whatever it was. And I just decided, no, I don't want to play anymore. 
So, you know, I, I got a job, I was working, uh, you know, I had the, the feel of money in my pocket, you know, that was a big deal. Had a car license, you know, and we were still playing baseball at the local elementary school. I remember I broke my wrist. Uh, we, we had played summer at this elementary school, the elementary school I went to. I'm not sure why we were playing in this configuration. It wasn't on the field, but I kept on hitting the ball on the roof. And if you hit the ball on the roof, the school, you had to get it. So, and we did it a lot. And so we climb up, we figured out a way to climb up on the roof. We didn't have any extra baseballs. Uh, and then I think it was like the third time that day, I just, I was jumping on off the roof and I just landed wrong and fell back on my wrist and uh, broke it, um, which was inconvenient because I was, I was just getting a uh, 85 Ford Escort that was a manual transmission. So that was uh, uh, <laughs> was difficult. Was that your first car? Yeah, right, yeah. That, that took care of that question later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, go ahead. Cut that for uh, bring it. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's not going to be in the 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 rapid fire question. Uh, how many broken bones are attributed to baseball in your life? Ooh. Seems like there's a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you add in all the pulled muscles too, the hamstrings and the quads, and oh man, I would have to say seven, eight at least. Oh my God. No, that's too you know, much. That's too much. So, I mean, and I, you know, playing vintage, you break your finger, you know, once every two, three years, you know, oh. and, you know, I don't think I, I can't make a fist anymore, but. <laughs> That's right. I can the still pinky. hold the back. Yeah, the, the, pinky, the pinky doesn't go down anymore. So. And that's, I mean, that's either a testament to just bad luck or just playing 100% all out all the time. And I'm going right. to assume it's, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, I had a choice to not put my hand in front of the ball. Yeah, you did. <laughs> like, you see some uh, third baseman that get a ball ripped down, they're like, nope. And they're like, they're like a conquistador and they just kind of oof, hold it, like, get out of the way. But no, I mean, I put my hand there and yeah. It, uh, it, All right. You know, I, it, but I, I don't regret it. Going to give you a chance to toot your own horn. I want you to remember back to your teenage years. Uh, do you remember uh, one of your best moments, a spectacular play or hit? A walk off, something from back then. Um, I, my memory, uh, basically, I know. I remember. I don't know what year of Little League, but it was my first home run on a decent field. Uh, like we we start Little League and you're on the you know the small field or whatever. But it was you know moving up and you're in that league and it was. Uh, I remember it was a right. It was an oppo, a little right center. You know, home run. And uh, I just remember that, you know, that was a big deal, you know, so, but not a whole lot of other stuff. I mean, uh, it kind of all blended together. Uh, you get out of high school and how, how far between high school and the next time you pick up a bat? Oh, um, probably quite a bit, to be honest. Um, I played softball. Let's see, I graduated in '94, 
So then I started playing softball and probably 97, 98, maybe, maybe 99, you know, and it was a very, you know, um, it wasn't a very competitive situation, you know, but then I played softball until regularly until probably 2009 or 10, maybe even 11, 12, you know, but I was playing vintage at the time. So the more I enjoyed vintage, the less I played softball. Isn't that the way it always goes? Yeah. I mean, like, it's just the caliber of play, the caliber of enjoyment. Um, and, you know, you don't realize it at the time of how, when we play softball, how the little things just seem to bug you so much. Like, <laughs> it was an out or safe. I'm like, no, I'm like really getting angry. Like, oh, he was out. You know, it's just, you play for an hour on a Tuesday <laughs> night. And at the end of the league, if you do good, everybody gets a t-shirt. You know, so, and you don't wear those t-shirts. You know, <laughs> I just went through my closet and I'm throwing all of it. I haven't worn that. I want, no one wears a t-shirt. So, yeah. And then playing vintage, it was like, I, yeah, I would much rather come out, play ball like this and, uh, you know, I still played softball for a few years, but it wasn't, I was the most mellow guy. Yeah. And I was pretty high strung, I think, back then. And I was, I was one of those guys yelling, uh, but yeah. Wow. When, when did you get introduced to vintage? So you said you, you were playing softball and vintage at the same time. When did that, when did vintage come into your life? Uh, it was, we had just moved in the area and uh, my wife had saw uh, Walker Tavern had uh, advertised some, uh, community picnic and it says vintage baseball being played and uh so we went out there and it was uh i was trying to find reasons not to go to be honest uh and but my wife was like oh no we're going <laughs> and so we packed up all the kids and we went out there and uh it happened to be walker taverns uh the wheels second game um it was 2008 uh, they had just formed they played a game uh, like a month prior versus Wyandotte, and I think they got beat like 35 to 1, or so, it was something really bad. And uh, uh, so they were playing a team, the Hartwick Pines, um, man, I can't remember their nickname, but uh, they're from Gaylord, and uh, they were short a guy. And basically, one of the wheels said, Hey, the opponents are short a guy. Does anybody want to play? And my wife, you know, basically said he will and so uh <laughs> that's how it started you know i played for the hartwick pines team uh made their ninth guy and uh played well enough for the wheels to say are you local because we could use you so oh, man. <laughs> so it was it was a great time and you know i could have not gone to that picnic and uh things would have been definitely different the last you know 14 years let me let me follow up with this. How much credit does your wife take for the success that you've experienced throughout your vintage baseball career? Is it like a 50-50? Like, well, I don't know. Is there more than 100%? you <laughs> rating for more than 100%. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, uh, there was a lot of, see, didn't she have fun? And oh, I that is that is such a unique experience. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, Bear Roller, but I feel like my wife 
included vintage baseball in our vows as like an obligation to be like, well, I'm marrying into this. Like, I'm going to have to take vintage baseball with this package. But you, your wife was like, no, here's vintage baseball. You're welcome. Not only that, not only that, but Jim has the rare wife who roots her husband on during the game. My wife's in her phone. And I, I do take, uh, I, I do acknowledge that she's, it's rare because she encourages and pushes me to do these. And it wasn't, to be honest, in 19, or I'm sorry, in 2008, um, we had uh, two uh, 10-year-olds, a 9-year-old, and a uh, 4-year-old. So it's not easy, and that was all the the players out there that have small kids knowing what their wives go through to get the kids, you know, going to the games, entertaining them, you know, and, you know, but that, that is actually, you know, the kids have grown up with vintage baseball and obviously, you know, you can tell. Yeah. So, but yeah, she does. She's actually probably takes it sometimes more serious than I do. So how many times Uh, has there been an awkward drive home? It's silent. There's not a lot being said. You get home, she throws the keys down, and she just looks at you and says, what the hell was that? (laughs) I don't think there has been, to be honest. You know what? I think she's more of a, hey, you did the best you could. Oh, my God. Or you will hear her say from the sidelines, especially if 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 I'm on two bad at-bats in a row, you know, like at the world tournament, I fouled, fouled ticked. And so I'm up there, I'm getting up, they're ready to pitch. And I hear, keep your elbow up. <laughs> so, yeah, it, she uh, goes oh. that and uh, she's very encouraging. That's for sure. We need, uh, so Bear Roller, I hope you made note because I did. Uh, she needs to be on the Wives of Vintage Baseball podcast episode we do. Uh, so she should be, she's the only one who should be on it that we, who else? <laughs> well, we're going to, we're going to have my wife. That's like, don't, I, I check out. I don't <laughs> you think it's odd that most of the, the good women that participate in vintage baseball and everything aren't married. So it's rare. You come across <laughs> one of the married ones. The rest of them have uh, not a lot to do. So they've made this their hobby. <laughs> and, uh, so I don't well, know who else you're going to have on this this episode with Mrs. Twilliger. <laughs> well, speaking of the, you know, there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, how did you meet your lovely wife? Oh yeah, um, it's a classic love story. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, working a second job. I was moonlighting at uh, Home Depot um, in the electrical department. I was. Uh, this is back when Home Depot stores were open 24 hours. Oh, wow. And uh, so I worked my 9 to 5. I started Friday night at 6 p.m. until 6 a.m. on Friday and Saturday at Home Depot. <laughs> so um, oh, that's lonely. Yeah, it was rough. Um, and then uh, she was working at Home Depot doing the same. She had a daytime job, but then she worked until like 2 or 3 in the morning. And uh, I guess, you know, the way she tells it, there is this little new, new uh, little hot number working in the electrical department. 
and uh, she needed her girlfriend to come introduce her. So uh, I remember meeting her, and then as they're walking away, I remember peeking my head out the aisle, watch you know, walking her, watching her walk away, and that was it. That wow. Was so in the electrical uh, department, I guess you could say you turned her on. That's right. There's a lot of. Uh, <laughs> So where did you take her on your first date? The, the, went, the cafeteria, the 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 employee cafeteria at Home Depot does not count. Does not count. <laughs> it does the not back count. locker room of Home Depot doesn't count. Okay. Uh, oh, we went to we went to go see a movie. We went to see a movie Grinch before or the uh, what's it Grinch before Christmas or what's a Grinch movie? The Grinch. Oh, the Grinch stole Christmas. Yeah, that's one of it. The Jim Carrey one. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know you've uh, we'll 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 awkward transition back into vintage baseball a little bit, and then we're gonna get into some other baseball. You've uh, you've always had some good teams. Uh, have you? That's incorrect. How that? No, you've always had. You've mostly had good teams. You've had some bad teams, but everybody has. I mean, the Capitals. Oof. Uh, <laughs> but uh, how you play the 1867. So that's that brings out your competitive side. That's because you want to play it competitively. Uh, how does your team, being the big heavy hitters they are currently, I'm talking about the current team, how do they feel when they play a 64? Disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's like uh, we actually we play more six we may we play more bound games this year than fly, um, just because of the Gettysburg and the different tournaments that we played in, um, and it's one of the things that we looked at going into Worlds is, you know, a lot of captains will keep stats and this. And I just kind of looked over and I just kind of threw out all the the bound score sheets and just looked at the fly. I'm like, how do these guys do? Um, because you could take quality hit after quality hit away, you know, during a, a bound match. So um, they uh, they don't mind it so much. We have one guy that really hates bound, but everybody else uh, just he's you know it's okay. We it's it, it is what it is. Like we know, um, like when we go to a festival, we're we're in the festival type um, atmosphere. You know, we're out there to have a good time. That's why, like, you, you bat 14, 15 guys. You've got to have some fun. Well, spend the whole weekend having fun, seeing the other teams you haven't seen in a while. That's why Frankenmuth is so great. And, you know, not a care in the world, you know, how it comes. And would that person be Sloop? Because <laughs> <laughs> when, when, he, when he played uh, that, that half a season with us, he, he commented, he's like, oh, my gosh. He's like, the only time you guys play fly is when you come to Michigan. And I go, yeah. And he goes, this is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the, the games, when you play the fly, not only is the competition stepped up, uh, you kind of get your juices flowing a little bit more, which is a lot of fun. And uh, there's usually stakes involved. So there's, yeah. more, there's more tournaments, there's more events, as opposed to these, everybody knows now, by now, 150 episodes in, I hate single games. I just don't see the point. I hate them. I hate them. Uh, 
Jim, you're a huge Detroit Tigers fan. Is that true? Yes. Uh, lifelong Tigers fan. Lifelong. Um, but as a, a baseball fan as a whole, but favor the Tigers, if that makes sense. I mean, obviously, big fan of the 84 team. I was, you know, just, you know, nine years old, you know, following that season, watching with my, my brother. Uh, my brother and I share a love of baseball. Um, he and I uh, just will travel the country. We're trying to knock off every baseball park um, as we can. I think we're at a 15 or 16 different stadiums. Oh, sweet. We've been to. Um, absolutely love it. Um, and we try to, you know, now we're to the ones where you can't do two on a trip. You know, they're destinations, kind of like Minnesota or like Arizona. Um, that's that type of deal. So um, we still got to go out to do the New York ones, but uh, we've hit all the local ones. We've done uh, LA, San Diego, um, Kansas city, you know, St. Louis, those type of deals. So, uh, but no, I was, I'm able to share my love of baseball with my brother. And uh, so he and I have done a ton of stuff, baseball related. What is um, the best? Yeah, we love the Tigers. What is the best stadium so far to watch? not as far as experience outside and all that stuff, but as far as sitting down in a seat and watching a baseball game, what's the best baseball park for you to watch a baseball game? Well, I do like, obviously, you know, when we went to Wrigley, it's a great atmosphere. Um, seeing the ball hit to the wall and knowing the outfielder doesn't know if it's coming out of the Ivy or not. That's a nice little, you know, experience of, you know, you got to play the ball. You got to be paying attention to this not no there's no even surfaces that something's going to come out you can't play it clean all the time um i really liked um seeing the games in uh, cleveland uh in detroit we had a uh only because i was spoiled we we were there for a baseball card convention and we got the dugout suite so we are at the the level of the field and to see it that way um and we were playing, they were playing the Angels, so we got to see Trout and Shohei Otani, which are two of my favorite players. So it's, uh, that's, that's a great place. And Pittsburgh's a great park. Um, it's a lot like America Park. I think they probably, I wouldn't be surprised if they have the same designers, but, you know, the type of concourse is the same. You, you overlook the city out of uh, right center field, you know, that type of deal. But um, seeing it played, yeah, I would say Wrigley, um, uh, Milwaukee is another good one. So. Uh, my Wrigley, my Wrigley experience went like this. I went with Jamie Johnson, and uh, we walked in. It was May, so the so the greenery had not shown up on the vine on the walls yet, and we're like, oh my god! And we're drinking. Uh, I can't remember what's that. What's that beer they serve at uh, Wrigley Gym? Uh, you, uh, I don't remember what the name of it is. It's uh, it's not Pabst. Uh, it's a somewhat famous name, but it's not like a household name. But uh, oh. anyway, so we get our beer and we're like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. And the crowd is amazing. And we went, you know, we spent a couple of hours outside of the stadium before we ever went in. And, uh, you know, first pitch of the ball game uh, grooved right in there to Shinsu Chu. And I, I don't, <laughs> in left field and it just went, oh. Man, first pitch? It was the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, Sin Choo Choo. 
you mother. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. Well, to go back to Wrigley one second, um, that was a, obviously Comerica Park, Tiger Stadium I've been to. Wrigley was our first one on the journey of trying to get them all. And we had bought the tickets probably about three months in advance. Um, and it was just the baseball gods that just led us to this. This was that long ago that the starting pitchers was for the Astros, Roger Clemens versus uh, Maddox. Ooh. So not just the, the way that all had to fall into place for us to see them, you know, and my seat was behind the post. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I spent the most of the game leaning over to watch. Yeah. Yeah. They all can't be winners. But, right. <laughs> hey, uh, just not to uh, take it too far to the left here, but baseball card convention, can I deduce that you collect baseball cards? You can say that, yes. Uh, so, do you have a barrel roller? I do not have a I, I saw there was a limited edition of they're five ev- cards. everywhere. <laughs> there's, there's a coveted barrel roller baseball card with my autograph on it floating around there. So. <laughs> Why? That's Why? unique. Because I was like, I'm going to sign it. <laughs> no, um, I, I do have, I do collect. Um, I'm a big baseball card, basketball card, hockey, you know, all sports card, you know. Okay. Um, collector memorabilia. I have a lot of memorabilia. I, I just enjoy picking up rare um, specialty stuff. You know, so there's uh, there's quite a bit in my collection. I, and yeah, it's, it's one of my. It's actually one of my businesses. So I mean, I buy and sell quite a bit. Um, but uh, I do have a private collection that the the unique ones and the special ones to me. Always stay. Yeah, that just hi- highlight one of those unique, special, non, I'm not going to part with this uh, item. Um, I do have, um, well, there's there's quite a few, but I got a Babe Ruth um, autographed um, piece that's, uh, that I have in my office that's just, you know, I bought it a long, long time ago, um, and I've had it. It's one of the things I won't part with. Um I got some uh, Michael Jordan, you know, stuff, and Kobe. I got a really nice Kobe jersey that uh, was signed by him. That uh, it's one of the things that I, just, you know, I won't part with. Um, but I do have quite a bit of a collection of uh, Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, and uh, Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant has been my favorite player since he came in the league. So I have a I, to say I have over three or four hundred cards of Chris Bryant is probably a fair estimation. So you say that you sell and buy, is there a place people can go to see, to see some of this stuff? Yeah, we sell, uh, basically just on eBay. Um, we sell all our stuff on eBay. Um, that's really the go to marketplace. Um, I mean, you can, I mean, back in the day, I don't know if you guys were card collectors, but you'd get the price guide in the mail once a month. Yep. And, um, that they can, they can create those all day long, but, Right now, you find out what a true worth is immediately by what they're going for on eBay. Um, and there's a couple other card sites now that popped up. The pandemic was huge for baseball cards and football, basketball cards, and you know that any type of collectible. Soccer is huge. Racing is huge. So, all right, here's a quiz. Here's a quiz for you, Billy Ripken. You know what card I'm talking about? I don't. I don't want to. I don't, don't want to yeah. curse. 
How much yeah. is that? How much is that card worth currently? Well, it depends on if, how well it's graded. That's that's how the cards are now. You submit the cards and get encapsulated, and the authenticator gives it a grade. Um, there are at least three different versions of that card. There's the the double F version. Um, yeah. Uh, the blacked out version where they put a black box over it and reprinted it. And then um, there's the actual just plain version. So um, the, uh, the the card that you're talking about, it, I mean, graded uh, fairly well. I mean, it's about 100 bucks. They're all over the place. They're not rare, to oh, be honest. Oh, that's too bad. You'd think they would be. But they that was the first run, and they mass produced that thing before, you know, people caught it. So is there an error card? I'm sorry, Rudy. Is there an, you didn't put up your baseball. Is there, <laughs> is there an error card uh, that didn't have a huge, you know, run of being out there that's worth a lot just because they screwed up? Yeah, I believe it was uh, Frank Thomas's rookie card for uh, Tops. I think it was 1990. He's in his Auburn Tigers uniform, and they did not put his name on it where there's a name it's just blank so um that at a high grade sells for quite a bit quite a bit and those uh, are more for the for the listeners out there that don't know the, the billy ripkin card has uh, uh some fun language written on the baseball uh the knob no. of the bag yeah. and uh yeah it's it's so it, it's fun to look at i remember kids in my neighborhood trying to pass off fake error cards because they realized if they got a pencil, they could erase and not really mess up the paint, but get rid of the ink. And so yeah. it'd be like, oh, it's an error card. And yeah, I've, I've, I've been, I'm not very good at spotting fakes anymore, but back in the day, I had an eagle eye. Yeah, they, uh, right now, the, the baseball card market is so incredibly, uh, I mean, if it's not graded, I usually stay away from it because there are a lot of, High-end cards like the Michael Jordan rookie is heavily faked, um, but if it's authenticated, it's it's any any condition to be honest is worth quite a bit. But uh, like that Frank Thomas, I was looking it up right now. That Frank Thomas card, uh, non-graded, without the name on it, sold uh, two days ago for fifty-five hundred dollars. Wow, <laughs> the no yeah. name. The no name. Yeah. So you go so to they're, they're you go to a lot of card shows then, uh, because of yeah. your interest in and your business. Uh, one of them. Uh, so I think it's safe to say that you've met Pete Rose. I have, and he's yeah. an a hole, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I just, I just, absolutely. I just wanted to confirm what I what I just already assumed. He's just got this personality, like, like. They're going to let you in the Hall of Fame, but they're waiting till you die because you're an a-hole. Is, is, is I would everybody agree with agree that? With that? Yeah. They're not going to give him the satisfaction. <laughs> no, of, absolutely not. Hey, tell me about your experience with the fantasy camp. I'm sorry, Rudy. I saw the baseball too late. Oh, tell, no. <laughs> tell you me. literally took the words out of my mouth. I was about to be like, we, we heard fantasy camp. I'm assuming you've played in a couple. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, well, my brother, like I said, I, my baseball, my love of baseball goes hand in hand with, you know, growing up, my brother, huge baseball fan too. And we'd always said that, you know, one day when we could make it happen, we were going to go to a Detroit Tigers fantasy camp. 
So that was in the works for a couple, two, three years. And then finally we were able to do it. And uh, it's a unique experience. Um, there was probably about 80, let's say 80 to 100, you know, people. And then they split you up into teams and they give you two former Tigers as coaches. Um, and uh, then you compete. You get, uh, you know, you play games against each other every day, a couple of days. You get your own uniform with your name on the back. You get, you know, lunch and spring training. This is down in, you know, Lakeland. Uh, lunch in the cafeterias with the other minor league players because this is when the pre-camp's going on. Um, so it's just a cool experience. You have banquets every night, one way or the other. You know, you have an autograph night with all the different players. There was probably about 22 to 24 different ex-players there. Um, and highlight for my brother, it's uh, it was the year after Trammell was elected into the Hall of Fame. And that was my brother's favorite player growing up and uh he was able to meet him get pictures i mean there's the access to the players is phenomenal it's i mean it's unrestricted i mean you are out on the field with them all the time i was lucky enough he wasn't so much he was there he was technically a coach for us he he just made an appearance but it was willie horton and i have some great memories of just sitting on the bench with willie horton and just talking baseball you know, picking his brain, uh, who the toughest pitcher he faced was, you know, you know, he would always tell me, he goes, young man, baseball's easy. You see the ball, you hit the ball. <laughs> I said, well, all due respect, you make it look easy. You know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, his first home run was off Sandy Koufax. Nice. Uh, and wow, that is just amazing. So, and what a career he had. Um, but there was guys, uh, Trammell, Brandon Inge, if you're a Tigers fan, you know, Rosma, Petrie, Tanana, um, even the local, local or the more recent guys from 2006 championship, Nate Robinson, Craig Monroe, um, Joel Zamaya. So uh, just we had a lot of back and forth with uh, Nate Robertson. Uh, well, there was a great age range. I was, I was probably 40 when we went and I was one of the younger guys. And so we had this gentleman who, uh, his name was George. He had to, he's gone to like seven or eight of these things. And he was, he has a walker. And so he would use his walker to get up to the plate and we needed a runner for him. And he just, he would just swing, you know? And, uh, so I was up after George, he struck out, he looked at the ump, he says, I think that might have foul tipped. And the umpire says, foul ball. So <laughs> he gets another pitch. He hits the ball. The runner makes his first. And uh, Nate Nate Robertson and uh, Joel Zamaya just came unglued. They were the coaches of the other team. <laughs> and they like, came out kicking dirt at the umpire, covering home plate. You know, they were writing, you know, vulgar, vulgar words in the, uh, in the dirt. <laughs> You know, making fun of the ump, but it was just yeah, it it was a great time. And uh, so I came up, and it was first and third, and they intentionally walked me, and and I'm like, the art coach is screaming, "This is fantasy camp! You don't intentionally walk somebody." And I said, "Yeah." I said, "To be honest, I said I looked at Zamaya. I said it's not my fantasy." <laughs> 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 
so that happened, but uh, no, it's, it's, it was a fun experience. I'm glad I did it once and uh, just, uh, you know, but if people were to go, it's just, you get so much access to those players. Basically, I came back with probably about 70 to 75 autographed items. You could just, you give them whatever, you know, and they would autograph it. Now, how many times did Jamie yell for you to keep your 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 bat up? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> uh, I came up with a short list here. Oh, by the way, did you do that at uh, in Lakeland, or was that the one that happens like halfway through the season at Comerica? That was in Lakeland, but they, they do the ones at Comerica Park during away weekends too, yeah. Uh, I came up with a list of six Detroit Tiger player names, and I want you to take the nice guy. I love the Detroit Tigers out of it, and I just want you to give me your first impressions as a fan, as a true 100% fan, not because you've met them and you've shook hands with them and whatever. Uh, As a fan, Bobby Higginson. Oh, I've never met him. I think he was overrated. He was, he was the best that we had, but wasn't saying a lot. True. Ryan Rayburn. I liked him. Utility. He could play just about, just about everywhere. And then you mentioned him, but Brandon Inge. Well, because I met him, I mean, he's a cool guy. Uh, but, yeah, he was a fan favorite. I liked him. While he's playing, I liked him. Mickey Tettleton. Again, I mean, rather, I'd prefer Matt Noakes. Cleet Thomas. I don't know that one. Oh, come on. Am I showing my Detroit Tiger fandom? Cleet Thomas is somebody, now listen, he played, I don't know, a couple seasons. Uh, I took my wife to uh, the last baseball game before the All-Star break, and Brandon Inge hit a home run, and then Cleet Thomas hit like a, he was a lefty. He had the name of Cleet. He went on to play with the Twins. Uh, he hit like a grand slam in that game. So all of a sudden, Amy's favorite player is Cleet Thomas. And I'm like, dude, Cleet Thomas sucks. And she's like, I was there for probably his best hit he's ever going to have. And I'm like, yeah. you could be right about that. I, I'm not going to fight you on that. But Cleet Thomas, no, they gave Cleet Thomas actually a lot of time to turn into something. It, no, it did not happen. No. Uh, but he had a great baseball name. Rudy? I, uh, cleat. That's <laughs> like, like a shoe? Like cleat? Yes. Oh. Fair enough. Cleat. Fair enough. Hey, before- Funny story about uh, Bobby Higginson. Yeah. Uh, because in the sports card, uh, he is a kind of famous, not as famous as Billy Ripken, but he was such an unknown player that the, the card company score came out with a card of his. They did. It must've missed their proofs. There's actually, his card is actually a portrait of him holding up a sign that says Bobby Higginson. <laughs> it, it is great. Have you, have you met Bobby Higginson? Yes. He's an a-hole, yeah. right? He's not a friendly gentleman. No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I think he owns like car dealerships now or something. I think that's his, uh, his, uh, his thing. Hey, before we get you out of here with giving you the old pepper, uh, tell everybody where they can go and buy tools from you and what all that is about. 
Oh, well, we, the company that I own and run with my wife is a company called Sourced Materials. Sourcedmaterials.com is our website. We're strictly wholesale. We sell to other industrial supply distributors. Um, so if you're in a big factory and you send something to a, uh, one of your local industrial supply companies and they can't get it, they usually come to us. Uh, that company will then come to us and to give it to their customers. So we, we do a lot of hard to find items along with nuisance items that people don't want to deal with, but we sell to other distributors to, uh, find those hard to find items. And we've been doing that since, uh, 2002. So 20 year anniversary this year. And, uh, also Rudy, you'll be happy to know that Mr. Twilliger is a wrestling fan. I am as, as we uh, are. Yeah. Uh, I just, I literally had a half hour of conversation with my brother about wrestling. Uh, just, yeah, because it's, it, we want to respect your time and your evening. Uh, so, so give me where, where, where you're at in the state of wrestling currently right now today with all of the news of WD, WWE, AEW, Impact, Ring of Honor. What, what is your current view on the state of wrestling right now? Well, we're fully emerged. And when I say we, I've, uh, my wife, <laughs> she was a participant by, you know, oh, I'll go with you. Yeah. But now, I, you know, and I have some proof because I took some videos of her Friday night when we were down at, at Little uh, Little Caesars Arena for WWE SmackDown. She, for my Father's Day present, she bought ringside tickets for us. Nice. So, and uh, oh they were, gosh. yeah. So, when you watch this coming Friday on SmackDown, there's going to be a match that they pre-recorded. Uh, yes, this week wasn't live. What? <laughs> um, that they're going to have a Viking rules match between the Viking Raiders and New Day. And the fight carries over the rail right next to me. Oh. So I will, I, we, me and my wife will be front and center and, uh, she, she has a favorite wrestler, and she'll probably kill me for saying it, but she is a huge, huge Drew McIntyre fan. Oh, that's not bad. Uh, that tracks. That tracks. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, so I did take a video of when he came to the ring, and he kind of looked at her and nodded <laughs> and got all red. And, uh, yeah, I got, yeah, I got proof that she's not a passive fan anymore. <laughs> she is fully engulfed, looking towards when's the next pay-per-view, but, uh, yeah, so oh. we, we, we do like the WWE. We've been to this year. We were at the uh, WrestleMania in Dallas. Um, and that was part of my card collection thing, too. We were, we had, uh, it was a package through some of the cards that I had bought. You get tickets to the WWE, and it was on the floor. You get to take your seat home with you. It's oh. a whole deal. Uh, wow. So, yeah, it, and you get to, we got to do a meet and greet the day before. Uh, with five different wrestlers, uh, like Riddle. He's one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, Got to meet him, and he's just like he is in the ring in person. <laughs> I believe it. I definitely yeah. believe it. Yeah. So, it, uh, no, it was a great time. We, we, enjoy, we enjoy it. We've been to SummerSlam. We've done, you know, WrestleMania a couple times. And, uh, it, you know, my wife loves concerts, so she'll go to – I, no kidding, 10 to 15 concerts a year and follows her band. She'll drive five to six hours to go see the bands that she likes. And that feeling when your band comes on and the crowd goes nuts, well, she equates the wrestling to uh, 
every time a new wrestler comes out, it's that same feeling. The crowd goes nuts. Oh, yeah. And to be there, to see it on TV is one thing, but to be there and just feel the electricity around you, and you got five-year-olds cursing <laughs> at the wrestlers, <laughs> and then you have, you know, 50 to 60-year-old men just going nuts, you know, yeah. I, I so took it, my sons to WrestleMania 23, I believe. That was at Ford Field. Did you go to that okay. one, Jim? No, I did not. That so was the craziest, I, the craziest thing I'd ever been to in my life. Uh, standing in line to get into Ford Field where it was just a wave. It was a four-block radius of just people. And when they finally opened up the doors to start letting people in, it was still another 45 minutes before I even moved from where I was. It was yeah, we, so crazy. We went, Because of the card collection, I kind of got immersed back into it. I didn't know anything about wrestling because, like everybody else, I'd watched for Hogan and Andre the Giant, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, Ultimate Warrior, all those guys, Junkyard Dog, loved it all. But then I was not present watching during the John Cena era and stuff like that. But then when The Rock came out, I was you know, I watched it. You know, my one of my favorite wrestlers of all time is Mankind, Mick Foley. Uh, and so when I got the opportunity to go and go to the WrestleMania, it was in, uh, um, New York at, uh, MetLife stadium. Uh, we, we were eighth row on the floor. There's 80,000 people there. And real quick, you see people all the time, like celebrities, they're, they're, they're funneling celebrities into the first row to get camera time, you know, walking back. And then, so we go get a hot dog. And in line, two people in front of me is Keegan Michael Key from Key and Peele. Yeah. And and so he's just getting a hot dog at everybody else. And then while we're under in the concourse, we hear Hulk Hogan's music come on. So we all run up the stairs. So I'm standing <laughs> and he goes, That's blank blank Hulk Hogan. I'm like, I know. It's great. And so yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, uh, it's oh my god jim we could talk to you for 17 hours uh we're gonna i mean we're gonna have to do another one because there are at least eight questions that i didn't get to ask so uh, i mean yeah thanks for finally coming on the show i asked you like two years ago you snubbed me no well you know no offense. Like, my wife asked me, why haven't you done the podcast before i'm like well you know there's a lot of things that, I mean, we run our companies and I was, I just retired from coaching basketball for 10 years. I coach high school oh basketball. God, make another note. And that, so <laughs> that's just, it, we are, we, to say that we burn the candle at both ends, we do. And so uh, now, you know, we're able to take some time. And I'm like, and then when I listened to the podcast and I heard you guys, uh, the Eric Twilliger, Eric Twilliger, Eric, I'm like, oh. <laughs> don't, don't say you guys. I was not a part of that. Listen, when you're doing when you're doing one of these play by plays, and we're new at it, you know, we're not professionals. We're not trying to be professionals, but there is, I'll tell you the truth, there is a, a some sense of comfortability when somebody, when something happens to somebody I know, because right. there's a yep. lot of guys out there I don't know, so I'm not comfortable saying things, but. Right. I think I'm more than made up for it later by complimenting the fine plays that you were making and talking about how I got lost in your eyes. I think I'm more right. than made up for it. Yes. Yes, you did. 
My wife did suggest that I wear sunglasses during the podcast. So <laughs> I mean, I did get lost. Don't tell me you didn't notice. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Jim, I'm going to give you the old pepper. This is a lot of, uh, uh, I don't know if you've li- listened to an episode where we do this, but at the end, it's just a lot of quick questions with quick answers. Mm, it's easy. Here we go. Name an overrated Major League Baseball player. Uh, Bryce Harper. Yes. Fan show favorite answer for that question. Uh, who made the first move, you or your wife? Oh, it was me. Absolutely. <laughs> Name an underappreciated tool. Uh, the square. Yes. Uh, name one of your least favorite vegetables. Oh, I don't only eat two, so uh, all the rest. Uh, green beans. And- <laughs> name something that you are terrible at. Uh, um, uh, I, this should be a quicker answer. Uh, gardening. Give me your Mount Rushmore of favorite Detroit Tiger players of all time. Oh, Ty Cobb, uh, Greenberg, uh, Mick, uh, Miguel Cabrera, and just because he's my favorite player of all time for the Tigers, Chet Lemon. Oh God, I actually have been trying to get Chet Lemon on the show. I'm it's I'm oh. so trying so hard. Uh, when you go to Greenfield Village for the World's Tournament. And you go inside the Henry Ford Museum. What's your favorite exhibit? Uh, the Oscar Mayer Mobile. What was the first concert you ever went to? Oh, Bob Seger. Name your favorite sandwich. Peanut butter jelly. Name an overrated wrestler. Roman Reigns. Oh. What would your death row meal be? Uh, slow roasted pot roast, mashed potatoes, and a good Hawaiian roll. Uh, what was your first job? <laughs> I vacuumed out and washed the hearses at a local funeral home. Oh, my God. Write that down, Rudy. Uh, more questions. Yeah. Hearses, vacuums. Wow. Nothing. You always hear sounds when you're in a building vacuuming a hearse. Like, what was that? <laughs> wow. Last last question. What's the best wrestling match you've ever watched? Uh, recently, it was the um, at WrestleMania. It was when Johnny Knoxville wrestled. Um, no. I think it was Sammy Zayn. Yes, it was yeah. so fun, dude. It was. It, it was, you would think it was full of gimmicks, no, but it, it, it. it was, but I it was also it. pretty good. Yeah. Um, I mean, then, then you can go back to, you know, WrestleMania three Hogan giant, you know, but that's just cause it's iconic, but I physically saw that. And at the end of the match, Jamie and I looked at each other and he goes, that was awesome. That was fun. But because our, I think because our, um, I didn't think we had high expectations. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's probably that's, true. In, in matches like in matches like those, you see how good the actual professional wrestler is in yes. like 
like Sami Zayn did a fantastic job in that match. Like a lot of people don't really focus on that. Yeah, and he's been around a long time for never really making something on TV for himself. He's always the stooge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> uh, crazy Legs. Uh, we didn't even – how did you get the name Crazy Legs? We, we're going to go on on that. How did you get that name? Uh, I was told I had to pick a name or some, or one would be picked for me. So I think I just Googled. And at the time, I thought I was fairly quick on my feet. So I'm like, that would probably be good. So when, I, when, I, when a list of names came up, that one stuck. Worst, worst now story it's, now ever. It's more, <laughs> now it's more like – you don't know if he's going to run or not. It's a little crazy. He probably shouldn't. <laughs> you know, he's old. He thinks he's young. He's going to get out. <laughs> uh, Mr. Twilliger, uh, I do have something to tell you. You always bother me about uh, doing a 40 and over gingerly gentleman. That's actually going to happen. That's a Jim Twilliger oh. special. We're going to do a 40 and over gingerly gentleman. Uh, whenever I can get this, this thing rolling, wherever I'm going to do it. So... Now I have to pass on, you know, the titles of the fastest runner to my uh, my speedy son. So, and uh, man, that's a whole other episode. I could talk about those, those kids all day. Those are that's oh. the, those are the questions I did not get to. We got to do another one. We got a we got a kid that did a tour of Europe, like playing the guitar. I mean, geez, there's so much. There's so much, Jim. Um, and uh, the youngest that Rudy calls is a virtual toddler that pitches for us now. <laughs> That's, uh, that's Josh. That's my youngest. So he's a uh, baby. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending a lot of time with us. Uh, I appreciate it. Congratulations on your big win uh, at the world tournament, and uh, I might be seeing you at the uh, state tournament. I'm not sure. Uh, it'll depend on the weather. Right, and uh, one thing I want to throw out there: when you guys do a live podcast. I'd love to sit with you and do help you guys do some play by play. I think that would be, that'd be awesome. The, I love it. The I love way it. we, the way we do this, Jim is if the chair is open, it's yours. Uh, All right. we want to involve as many people as possible in vintage baseball. Uh, you know, we're, we're not, we're not hiring. So we try to, we try to mix it up with who's next to us. And what I do, uh, if Rudy's available to do it, we do three man, you know, at, at the Ohio Cup coming up, we got Dennis Wegman uh, coming on. So we'll have a three-man booth, except for when Rudy's playing. But, like, at the state tournament, I got a chair next to me. If it's if it's, if it's it's empty, you hop right in. If there's going to be an event and you want to commit to something, you just let me know, and absolutely. I think, good. Uh, I think that would be phenomenal. So, Rudy, get us out of here, would you? Hey. Hey, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, uh, yeah, really just uh, sharing your story with us. It's been great. Um, for Swamp Fox Frias, uh, I just want to tell everybody that uh, you can find the Roller Out the Barrel show wherever you're getting podcasts. Click that subscribe button. Leave a review. Reach out to us. Um, if you if you have a topic you want to hear or someone that you might think be interesting enough to be on the podcast, uh, come on out. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, don't forget, we're taking uh, – we got to plug this stuff, Rudy, uh, while we got a, a recording going on. 
We're taking your pictures right now from Vintage Baseball that happened this year, 2022. Email your pictures to barrelrollerpod at gmail.com. We're going to narrow it down to five pictures. We're getting a lot of pictures in. We're going to narrow it down to five, and then we're going to let everybody vote on the Vintage Baseball Pitcher of the Year. We're also doing something very cool in the offseason to keep everybody hyped about baseball is we're actually going to induct some players from the beginning of baseball history, but we're also inducting players from the beginning of the reincarnation of vintage baseball. And Rudy, I was thinking about taking people out of the hall of fame that exist. That shouldn't even be in there. We could do like something like that. Um, I'm all for that. So uh, we got a lot of stuff uh, this off season that we're going to keep just plugging along. Uh, so thank everybody for the downloads and all that. And Rudy, free station to station, blah, blah, blah. We're out of here. Thanks everyone. <laughs>